Well, it's my pleasure this morning to introduce our guest speaker. If you were with us last Sunday, you've already met him. He and his wife, uh, Claudia, uh, are one of our great commission partners for our church. Don and Claudia mentor church pastors around the world. And uh, Don, if you get to know Pastor Don, he has a shepherd's heart. <laughs> and uh, you'll find that evident if you just sit down and talk to him. Don is our bishop, as Pastor Jay says. Um, his actual title is district superintendent for our, our area. He serves in that capacity as well. He was recently uh, graduated, uh, he, so to speak. He assumed the role uh, of district superintendent after serving in our sister church, uh, Living Grace, uh, the free church in Cary, uh, just right down the road. Uh, we want to welcome you, Pastor Don, once again to our pulpit this week as he shares and opens God's word for us today. He's speaking on when life and God don't make sense. So would you welcome Pastor Don as he comes to share with us? Thank you, Pastor Doug. I've always wanted to preach at a tent meeting, so uh, <laughs> the timing was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. I do want to thank Pastor Jay and the leadership here for giving me the privilege of being able to share God's Word with you this morning. Um, if I can take a minute to kind of brag on the, uh, the pastoral staff here at the Evangelical Free Church of Crystal Lake. After serving at uh, Nextdoor and Cary at Living Grace Community Church for 33 years, had an incredible opportunity over these years to have a very um, special relationship with the, uh, the staff here at Crystal Lake. And um, I was just reflecting back on the pastors that God has blessed you with over uh, these many years. And um, I just thank you so much for, um, for just taking care of your pastoral staff, loving them, encouraging them. Uh, they, are, uh, they are just very special uh, people that love the Lord and love serving him. And Crystal Lake has been incredibly blessed with a great staff. And so um, just from, from the standpoint of one who has known them for many years, I, I thank you for the privilege of um, uh, being able to serve with them here in this area. Um, so that I don't get into trouble. Um, Rick Thompson is actually the district superintendent of all of the Great Lakes District. I'm just simply a little area superintendent for 22 churches that are in the north and northwest suburbs. So I'd hate to get a phone call tomorrow morning and Rick saying, what on earth are you doing taking over my job? So I don't want his job, all right? <laughs> He's got a lot more to worry about than I do. And um, Claudia and I also... I uh, want to thank you for your support and encouragement as we are uh, training and equipping uh, church leaders and pastors uh, in third world countries. Um, when we stepped back from our, our role as, um, at Living Grace, um, we didn't have really an idea of just how incredibly blessed we were going to be in, in what God is doing in us and through us uh, now. And so, uh, thank you. My wife wishes she could be here uh, this morning. She may be listening and watching uh, for a few minutes. Um, her youngest sister's husband suddenly passed away of a heart attack a couple weeks ago. 
and they had a memorial service yesterday for him, and we just felt it important that she be there um, with her family. So um, keep them in prayer, and um, I know that she wishes that she could be here. And also, on behalf of the Great Lakes District, I want to thank Crystal Lake uh, for your support of the district, your support of the denomination as a whole, and uh, your faithfulness in declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, God has placed this church here in this part of his world for a very special purpose. And as I have known you and been a part of um, what God is doing here from time to time, it is exciting to see how God is using the Evangelical Free Church of Crystal Lake uh, for his kingdom and his glory. So um, thank you for that. And as we celebrate uh, Independence Day this week, uh, this weekend, I thought it appropriate that in the midst of the craziness that's going on in our country that I read to you uh, the words of one of our founding fathers, uh, Thomas Jefferson. These words are uh, engraved on the Jefferson Memorial, and I think they speak very pointedly to the message this morning from the book of Habakkuk. Thomas Jefferson said this, God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are a gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. I want to ask you this question as we begin to reflect on the book of Habakkuk. How many times over this past year have you wondered how long is the violence going to go unabated? How long are the wicked going to go unpunished? How long are the laws of our country going to be ignored? How many times have you found yourself coming before the throne of God and asking God, God, what are you doing? When are you going to do something about the craziness and the mayhem that is going on? God, why aren't you doing something? If you've ever felt that way, if you're even feeling that way now, we're not alone. As you go back to the book of Psalms and as you read time after time as David is crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, how long will you remove yourself from me? How long, Lord, will you hide yourself? When you go to the book of Job and in the midst of Job's suffering and as Job is looking at the wicked and they're prospering and he's wondering, God, why are you allowing the wicked to prosper and you are allowing me to suffer? This morning we are going to look at the book of Habakkuk because Habakkuk was experiencing the same things. He was wrestling with the same things. He was looking at his people who are living in, in rebellion against God and he's wondering, God, what on earth are you doing? Why aren't you doing something? You'll have to forgive me for 
choosing to preach the entire book of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters, so we won't be here forever. <laughs> but when you only get one shot to be able to share God's word, you want to get as much in as you possibly can. And quite frankly, in looking at the book of Habakkuk, really we need to look at it as a whole. I do have to tell you, though, uh, in three weeks I'm going to be down in Honduras with um, a group of, of 15, and we're going to be serving at Eliudante. And over the last two and a half years, I've had the privilege of being able to train a group of pastors in inductive Bible study and expository preaching. And we're getting towards the end of that training. It's nine workshops. We have completed seven workshops. The eighth workshop actually is preaching the book of Habakkuk. And so when I get down there, I've got three days with, with these 12 pastors, and they are, uh, have been asked to prepare actually five messages from the book of Habakkuk. So I'm going to be cramming five messages into one this morning. But I'm looking forward to hearing them as, as they preach this incredible book in the context of their world. And they're serving in a country that is really struggling on all levels. The prophet Habakkuk is uh, only mentioned by name twice in the entire Bible, and both times it's in the book that bears his name. In the first verse of the book of Habakkuk, it begins with the words, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. We also see his name being mentioned in the first verse of the third chapter, which we will look at in a moment. We're really not sure a lot. We really don't know a lot about Habakkuk, a lot of conjecture. He may have been a, a prophet of God who had been schooled in the law of Moses. But when you come to chapter 3, chapter 3 is actually a psalm. And what's interesting is that in the context of that psalm, there are instructions that are given to the worship leaders. And it may be that Habakkuk was a priest serving in the temple who also was then serving as a prophet of God, but also leading people before the throne of, of God. The name Habakkuk means to embrace or to wrestle with. And as we work our way through this incredible book, you're going to see Habakkuk wrestling with God. You're going to see Habakkuk trying to embrace what, what God is saying to him, but having a difficult time doing it. The dating of the book is most likely right around the time of King Jehoiakim, probably somewhere in, in the 620 B.C. period of time. It's a time when the kingdom of Judah is um, living in rebellion against God. It is a time when, when the children of Israel are living in adultery, they have rejected God. They have chased after the, the pagan idols of the world around them. And Habakkuk's prophecy is written in a context of some things that are going to be happening to the kingdom of Judah in just a few years, 20 years or so. During the reign of King Jehoiakim, Israel was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what 2 Chronicles 36.5 tells us. Of the 20 kings that ruled in the southern kingdom of Judah, 
12 did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Only eight did what was right in the sight of the Lord. The southern kingdom was a rebellious kingdom. What's interesting is that the last good king in Israel was King Josiah. And it was during the time of King Josiah that, that Habakkuk probably was growing up. So Habakkuk was probably growing up during a period of time when, when Josiah is restoring worship of the true God and is trying to draw the children of Israel back into a right relationship with God. And it's interesting that God would then use Habakkuk to declare his message. So as we look at the book of Habakkuk this morning, if you walk away with one thing, here's what I want you to walk away with. In the midst of the seeming senseless chaos in the world in which we live, when God at times seems nowhere to be found, God is still acting and is still worthy of our patient praise. If you get nothing else out of the message this morning, I pray that you will get that. That we are living in a, a, a senseless world of chaos. But in the midst of that, when it appears that maybe God isn't doing anything, that in reality he is. He is still acting. He is still working. And he is worthy of our patience and worthy of our praise. The book of Habakkuk is three chapters long. The first two chapters are basically a question-answer time between Habakkuk and God. I consider Habakkuk pretty brave to get, just to get into that. The third chapter is a, a psalm of praise and worship in response to God's answer. In Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1, we read these words, and then... New International Version says, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. When you look at the New American Standard and, also, and the English Standard and some of the other versions, it starts out with these words, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. That word prophecy, that word oracle, actually is a word, a Hebrew word, Massah, that means burden. And it was a word that was used when a prophecy that was about to be shared was a very difficult prophecy a burdensome prophecy, a weighted prophecy, a prophecy that was not going to be easy to listen to. And so as Habakkuk begins to share the things that God had to say to him, it was a burden. It weighed on Habakkuk's heart. He was burdened for the, the sinfulness of his people, but he was also weighted down and burdened by the prophecy that God was giving him and what he was going to have to deliver. And I think a question for all of us today would be this. In the midst of all that's going on around us, and the sinfulness and the rebellion against God, are our hearts burdened? Are we weighted down by that? Or are we just kind of going on, doing whatever we've been called to do, and trying to ignore as much as possible the sinful world in which we live? In the first 11 verses of Habakkuk chapter 1, we have this first interaction between Habakkuk and God. 
And there are three truths that I want to share with you regarding the, the book of Habakkuk. The first is this. When chaos reigns, the unseen God is still working. When everything around us seems to be falling apart, nothing seems to be of any good or any value, God is still working. Even though we can't see him, even though we don't understand what he's doing, God is still working. In verse 2 of Habakkuk chapter 1, it begins with these words, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Do you hear Habakkuk's heart? He's crying out to God, God, how much longer do I have to continue to call out to you and you don't seem to respond to me? How much longer do I have to go on seeing the violence that is going on around me and somehow, Lord, you don't seem to be doing anything? He goes on to say, why do I have to look at all the iniquity, all the sinfulness that's around me and you don't seem to be doing anything? There's destruction, violence, strife contention, disregard for the law, a lack of justice. And the wicked thrive, and those that are, and are surrounded by, and the righteous are surrounded by them. Justice is perverted. Do you feel like Habakkuk? Not much has changed in 2,700 years, has it? In fact, I was imagining Habakkuk sitting down at the front of his TV or in his computer, and he's watching Fox News or he's watching CNN, and, and uh, he's looking at all this stuff that's going on and all the, the news and the chaos and the craziness. He takes his daily newspaper and he opens up and he reads. Do we still have daily newspapers that we open and read? Anybody still read a daily newspaper? Ah, oh, we got a few there. Okay, good. I drive down the street and I see newspapers in the gutter and I wonder, does anybody ever pick them up and actually read them? But you wonder, don't you wonder what Habakkuk was thinking? And we can picture ourselves 2,700 years later and, and nothing has changed. And we look at the world around us and we look at our country and we think, God, what on earth is going on? And why aren't you doing something? I can feel Habakkuk's frustration. Are you overwhelmed with the violence and destruction? My wife is in Portland, Oregon right now. Thankfully, she's not actually in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> she is in one of the suburbs. The city has gone crazy, and it's not the only one. You're frustrated? Are you angered by the injustice? Those that are purposefully violating the laws of our land and nothing is being done? God, where are you? God responded to Habakkuk. In verses 5 to 11, we have God's first response to Habakkuk's questions. And God's answer is this. I'm working even when you can't see it. I'm working even when you can't see it. In verse 5 of Habakkuk chapter 1, we read these words. Look at the nations and watch. These are God's words in response to Habakkuk's cry. 
Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Look around, Habakkuk. Look at the nations. Look at what's happening. You aren't going to believe what I'm going to do even if I were to tell you. He goes on in verse 6 of chapter 1 to say, I am raising up the Babylonians, or in some translations, the Chaldeans, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. He then goes on in verses 7 to 11 to describe the wickedness of the Babylonian Empire. Three things God wants Habakkuk to understand. The first is this. God is at work in ways that we can't see. God's message to Habakkuk comes roughly 25 years before the Babylonians would come in and invade Jerusalem and ultimately destroy it. In those years leading up to the invasion of Jerusalem, the Babylonians are destroying the Assyrians and then defeating the Egyptians in preparation for consolidating their empire so that they can then come against Israel and take and destroy Jerusalem. What's interesting is during that period of time, the kings of, Jerusalem, of Israel or Judah are trying to align themselves with whoever they think is going to win. So they're aligning themselves with the Assyrians, and that's not going so well. So then they align themselves with the Egyptians and the Babylonians, and that's not going so well. And, and they keep going back and forth until finally the Babylonians are so strong that the kingdom of Judah has no choice but to surrender itself to the Babylonians. But there's something else that is going on that only God knew about during that period of time. Because it was during that period of time that God was preparing a next generation of young men that he was going to use to have a profound influence on the kingdom of God in Babylon for 60 years. Because it was during that same period of time that you have young men like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being raised by godly parents who were faithful to God and raising up a next generation that God might be able to use them so that as Daniel and his friends are taken from, from Jerusalem to Babylon, that he can then raise them up and use them to have a profound influence in Babylon for 60 years or more. And I raise a question to all of you this morning. Those of you who have children... As parents, do you understand your responsibility in the midst of all this craziness and all this chaos? The responsibility you have to be feeding into your children all that they need to know about what it is to be obedient to the word of God so that they, you can raise up a generation that in the midst of all this chaos, God can use them to have an eternal impact for his kingdom. Do you understand as parents how important it is for you to be a godly model to not just simply tell your children what they need to believe and what they should do, but that you are modeling that for them. You see, that's a beautiful thing about God, is that as God is dealing with a, a rebellious people, there is always a faithful remnant who followed after God, put their faith in him, trusted him. And even in the midst of the chaos in which we are living today, there is a faithful remnant 
And there are people that are honoring the Lord and raising up a next generation. And that next generation that's here, young people, kids, you need to understand how important it is that you listen to what God is trying to say to you and how he's trying to develop you through your parents and through others, through the ministries of Crystal Lake Free Church. And what he's trying to do to raise up a generation so that he can use you the way he used Daniel and the way he used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Young men and young women who are committed and, and to serving the Lord and you are young people of conviction. There's so much going on these days about a generation that grew up in the church and is leaving the church. We need to focus on the generation that's growing up in the church that is not leaving the church. And we also need to focus on, on reaching out to those that have become delusioned with their faith and offer them a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. In the midst of the craziness, we need a generation going up that is going to remain committed to their faith. That means you. And my wife and I had the privilege of going to other parts of the world to be able to train the next generation leaders. I am so encouraged by what I am seeing because I am seeing God raise up a next generation of, of church leaders and pastors who love the Lord and want to serve him in the midst of all the difficulties. And as area superintendent, I'm seeing as, as some of us old codgers are, are starting to step back away from ministry, God is leading young men into ministry to serve the Lord and to preach the gospel faithfully. So I'm encouraged with that. God is at work even when we can't see it. The second thing is that God is at work even when it doesn't make sense. Going back to verse 5 of Habakkuk chapter 1, God said, I'm doing a work that you would not believe if I told you. Can I tell you something? There's good reason why God doesn't tell us what he's going to do before he does it. Amen? Number one, because we wouldn't believe it. And number two, because we wouldn't agree with it. How many of us have had situations in our lives that if God came to us ahead of time and told us, hey, this is what's going to happen to you down the road, how many of us would have argued with him? Exactly, that's the word. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A.W. Tozer put it this way. A.W. Tozer was, I think he was a pastor before his, um, before his time. He served a church in Chicago for some 30 years. Uh, Christian Missionary Alliance pastor, great author. He put it this way. While it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who hasn't surrendered his authority. Don't ever forget that. Third thing that we see here in, in this first interaction between God and, and 
Habakkuk is this. God is at work even when he chooses to do nothing. Let me say that again because I need you to understand what I'm saying. God is at work even when he chooses to do nothing. In verse 3 of Habakkuk 1, Habakkuk says, You idly look at wrong. He's accusing God of doing nothing. I had Pastor Doug read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Kind of a downer, isn't it, of a passage of Scripture. It's a reminder, though, of the spiritual condition of our country and our world. I was thinking as he was reading, I probably should have had him start with verses 16, because verses 16 to 17 remind us of this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And those last words are actually a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2. But here's the point. As you continue to read in Romans chapter 1, in verse 24 it says, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. In verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. In verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. You see, there are times when God's judgment on a nation or on a people or on an individual is to do nothing and let doing nothing have its impact on that individual's life. You think you got a better idea than God? You think that disobeying his word is the best way to go about doing life? Then God will take his hands off you and say, okay, go for it. See if you've got a better idea. See if this is what it's all about. And so there are times when God is going to do nothing in order to teach a nation or teach a people or teach an individual that what they are choosing to do is going to destroy their lives and the lives of others as well. We are living in a culture that lusts after what is evil and despises what is good. That's where we're at. So when chaos reigns, the unseen God is still working. Don't ever forget it. The second thing is this. When God's ways don't make sense, his justice will still prevail. Beginning with verse 12 of chapter 1, going all the way through the, second, the end of the second chapter, we have the second interaction between Habakkuk and God. When Habakkuk hears what God's plan is, Habakkuk starts to... You, you can picture Habakkuk going crazy. It's kind of like Habakkuk saying, God, did I really hear what you said? You want to say that again? You want to repeat it? Because I don't think I heard you clearly. You, you said you're going to take who? And do what? And why? And Habakkuk realized that that's exactly what God said. God is going to use the Babylonians to bring judgment on the kingdom of Judah because God's justice will prevail. In verse 12... Habakkuk says this to the Lord. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. 
what's interesting is if you continue to read, and I want to challenge you that sometime this week, just read through the entire book of Habakkuk. It won't take you long. But my sense is that when you come to verses 12 and following, there is a question that's going on in Habakkuk's mind with every statement that he makes. So that when, in my translation, it says, we shall not die, I almost feel like wanting to add the words, will we? Because then he goes on, he says, oh Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. And, and there's this question going on in, in each statement of Habakkuk's mind and heart. In, in verse 13 he says, You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. And that's a very true statement about God. So then, but then he raises this question. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You hear the questions in Habakkuk's mind and heart? But when you look at verse 13 and you hear what Habakkuk says, I can almost picture God saying, Habakkuk, what did you say? You want to repeat that to me? You want to tell me that the children of Israel are more righteous than the Babylonians? Habakkuk, that is bad theology. Habakkuk, let me remind you. Let's go back 20 years to the rule of Manasseh. Manasseh ruled in the kingdom of Judah for 55 years. And in 2 Kings chapter 21 and verse 9, we read these words. Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Do you get that? And Habakkuk is saying that the children of Israel are more righteous than the Babylonians. Habakkuk, you've got it all wrong. And one of the first things that I want to caution all of us on is this. We need to beware of the temptation to think that somehow we are more righteous than they. In the midst of the chaos and the moral depravity of the world in which we live, we need to be careful that we don't start setting ourselves up as being more righteous than the world in which we live. Because the truth of the matter is, is that there are none righteous, none. And that the only reason that there is righteousness at all is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and our faith and trust in what he did for us on the cross and his resurrection and nothing else. And so we need to be careful that we don't think that in this world of immoral, immorality that somehow we are more righteous than those that have no relationship with Jesus Christ and have no sense that maybe that there even is, is a God. The second thing from this second interaction between Habakkuk and God that we need to keep in mind is this. Beware the temptation to think that we have a better idea or a better plan than God. When you come to verse 1 of Habakkuk chapter 2, as Habakkuk has now tried to prove his point to God and, and laid out his argument to God, Verse 1 says this, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. 
I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Can you, can you hear Habakkuk? He's saying, all right, I've laid it out, God. There it is. Now I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to stand here and I am just going to wait and see what you have to say to me. I think I've offered a pretty good argument toward to you. I'm going to wait to hear what you say so that I know how I'm going to respond to you. There's an incredible sense of arrogance, I think, on Habakkuk's part here. But we need to be careful that somehow we don't think that we've got a better idea or a better plan than God. God then responds to Habakkuk. And beginning with verse 2 all the way through the rest of chapter 2, God's words to Habakkuk are this. I will bring justice on all people in my time. I will bring my justice on all people in my time. In verse 2 of Habakkuk 2, the Lord replies, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that, you, so that a herald may run with it. In other words, he's saying, write it down in such a way that the one who reads it will run. It's almost like, like God saying, Habakkuk, I want you to write this on a billboard. I want you to write this where, where everybody's going to see it as plain as day. And what's interesting is that when he says it, he says, it's not that those who are running, I want to be able to read it. I want those who read it will run. In other words, those who read the message are going to spread it. are going to let people know that God's judgment is coming. In verse 4 of the second chapter, God says, The wicked are arrogant, but the righteous will live by his faith. It's interesting, that verse of scripture is repeated three times in the New Testament. Paul uses it in Romans chapter 1. He uses it in Galatians chapter 3. It's also used in Hebrews chapter 10. And in every case, it's to remind people that we are not righteous because of what we are done. We are righteous because of our faith and trust in what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. God goes on then in the following rest of the chapter 2 to offer these woes to the Babylonians. Woe to the greedy, verses 6 to 8. Woe to the dishonest, verses 9 to 11. Woe to the violent, verses 12 to 14. Woe to the sensual, verses 15 to 17. Woe to the idolater, verses 18 to 20. You would think that God was speaking to our generation. Because every single one of these issues are issues that are destroying the world in which we live today. What's also interesting, though, is in the midst of that, God offers these words of hope in chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What beautiful words to, to focus on. In the midst of all of the chaos and in the midst of God's judgment and his justice being poured out, we have that assurance given to us that the knowledge of the glory of God is going to be seen and revealed to all people. When chaos reigns, the unseen God is still working. Second, when God's ways don't make sense, his justice will still prevail. The last thing I share with you this morning is this. Regardless what we might think of God's plans, God is still worthy of our worship. That's the entire chapter 3. It's one of the beautiful things about this entire book is that verse, chapters 1 and 2, Habakkuk wants to have a fight with God. But when God is done speaking, Habakkuk humbles himself, surrenders himself, his heart to the Lord, and he just cries out in praise and worship. Verses 1 and 2. 
of chapter 3. Verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And Habakkuk humbles himself before God, and he says, God, I've heard your report. I understand what you're saying. Lord, all I ask is this. In the midst of your wrath, as you pour out your judgment, Lord, please show mercy. Please show mercy. Second thing we see about this psalm of praise and worship is that Habakkuk says to God, God, what you have done in the past, do it again. Verse 3 to 15 one of the interesting things about this psalm is that it has some similarities to Moses' psalm in Deuteronomy chapter 33. And there's some commentators that feel like Habakkuk may very well have been re reflecting back to, to God's deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And that as he brought them out of Egypt and brought them to the promised land, that Habakkuk is saying to God, God, do it again. Do it again. Bring your people out of slavery. God, bring your people um, out of their rebellion against you, and Lord, bring them back to you. And the picture here is of a sunrise. When he talks about Teman and the Mount of Paran, those were east of Israel. And, and Habakkuk's picture is a picture of the sun rising. And as the sun is rising, he likens that to God coming back on the scene and offering light in a dark world. And we need to be praying, God, what you've done before, do again. Lord, you have brought revival on the land before. Lord, bring revival in the land again. Third thing that we see in this last chapter is, is when Habakkuk comes to verse 16. He says, though I tremble, I will quietly wait. Verse 16 says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of, of the trouble to come upon people who invade us. Brings us back to the words of Thomas Jefferson when he says, I tremble for our country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. God is going to bring his justice and his judgment on this country. He's going to bring his justice and his judgment on this world. Are we willing to wait and trust him in the midst of the chaos that God's justice will ultimately win out? The last thing we look at in chapter 3 is this. No matter what. No matter what happens, no matter what goes on, in the days and weeks and months and years to come, no matter what, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. Verses 17 and 18 of Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Bob Deffenbaugh, who is a prolific author, was a pastor for many years, 
this is how he paraphrased those verses. Though the Social Security fund is depleted, though the stock market crashes, though my insurance company goes bankrupt and my IRA account vaporizes, though I lose my job and my business fails, I will rejoice because of the Lord. Over the course of three chapters, God changed the heart of Habakkuk. Habakkuk went from complaining to confessing. He went from whining to worshiping. He went from questioning to proclaiming God's word when he said, God the Lord is my strength. And in the midst of the world in which we live, in all that is going on, are we willing to let God do whatever he needs to do to change our minds and our hearts? So that rather than being self-righteous and condemning, that we are asking God to do his work and that we are asking God to use us to do his work. The next generation, young people, are you willing to be a Daniel? Are you willing to be a Shadrach, a Meshach, a Bendigo? Or a hundred years after them, are you willing to be an Esther who God used to deliver his people? Are you willing to let God use you for his glory and his kingdom? God the Lord is our strength. He is always aware of what's going on. He is always engaged in our lives. And he is always worthy of our praise. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the words of the prophet Habakkuk. We thank you, Lord, for what he learned from you as he cried out to you, as he was honest and, op and open with you, and how he was willing to listen to you, Lord, and respond in obedience and respond in worship. Lord, may we be those kinds of people in the midst of the chaos, the immorality of the world in which we live, the country in which we live. Lord, I pray that you would use us to declare the message of truth, to declare a message of justice, of judgment, but also, Lord, that in your wrath, you remember mercy. For Christ, I pray. Amen.